doesn't make any fucking sense. That fucking tagline on the poster. Nope. But I'm going to say it about four times during the episode. Sweet. Cause I'm, I was going to start off with it. <laughs> Do it. Start off with it. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. Ooh, we got reindeer games for you. Reindeer games. The trap is set. The game is on. And that tagline means no fucking sense when you see the movie. Yeah, well, no, it doesn't. Not at all. It's weird. And it's also in bold white letters across the top of the poster. Right. For some reason. And with the and the one sheet's terrible. Yeah, it looks like something that, you know, what I, back in the day, I wasn't, there was no term for it. But now I would say that thing is a red box fucking title. Oh, yeah. That's like a red box poster, man. Come on. Right. You got a casino that's on fire. First of all, it's not the casino you see in the movie and nope, it never catches fire. <laughs> and it doesn't ever catch fire. <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, there's a fire. Why is Chris Evans fucking making time with Charlize Theron on the poster? Oh, that's not Chris Evans. I'm sorry. You're right. It, no, you, you know why you, you know it's not Chris Evans? Because he's got a butthole chin. Correct. And he's not smiling or I would have known it was Ben. <laughs> we got John Frankenheimer's Reindeer Games. Supposed to be a 90s movie. He's supposed to drop in 99 due to some uh, not great feedback after some screenings. <laughs> they did some reshoots and some some editing and it came out in February of 2000. In 2000, man, February is not when you drop movies. No, man. February was a dumping ground back in the day. January, February were where you dumped movies that like you didn't know what to do with. And yep. It was kind of like there was nothing coming out after the award season. And, mm -hmm. you know, we hadn't gotten to the spring, spring break kind of vibe yet. So it's where they dumped movies. Yeah. August, yeah. <laughs> January and February. Yeah. In November, December is your, your, your awards push for consideration. And then after that, their focus point is like, oh shit, we still got these movies to put out. Now, granted, they wanted to drop this thing in, in at Christmas time anyway. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie, and then just but not based on the title alone, because you know what, this is this easily falls in the same argument as the Die Hard one, and you all know how we feel about this and Lethal Weapon. These are Die Hard. Kiss, movies. kiss, bang, bang. Long kiss, good night, dude. All those Christmas movies. Christmas now, movies. We don't have to have a Christmas esque title in there for us to say that, but I'm just, we're just here to reaffirm that this is a Christmas movie. And by the way, speaking of Die Hard, is it just me or does Ben Affleck like to channel a little bit of maybe a high and drunken John McClane from 88? Possibly. I sure feel that way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know. Uh, this, this story idea came from uh, one of the two guys whose names we will not mention. You know, he's related to the other one, so and he's he's complicit, so I'm not going to say his name either. But Aaron Kruger, who who did a lot of work for Miramax and Dimension, um, he, he ended up, I think he wrote the the Scream Three, maybe he wrote Scream Two based off of uh, Kevin Williamson's treatment. But he's somebody that did a lot of work um, around that time. Yeah, he also wrote the criminally underseen Arlington Road. Dude, I love and see we talked about those Arlington Road. Um, I remember when it came out. 
I, I, I had, a, I got a bootleg of it cause it wasn't out and somebody gave me a VHS of it. It was like, it's one of my favorite Jeff Bridges performances. And, and a lot of people that Tim don't Robbins, like, and, yeah, and a lot of people don't like Tim Robbins, love him in this movie. It's nice to see him cause he never plays roles like that. Tim Robbins. So, and in this movie, it's a lot like that situation where you, where there's some casting in there that you're not used to seeing at least now anyway. I mean, we're, sure. we're six years after Forrest Gump and we got Carrie Sinise in here playing the heavy, the, the lead bad guy in this movie. I don't know about you, the way they have him looking with the facial hair and the, and, and the, the shoulder length hair that he's got. It looks like Chris Delia and Steve Buscemi had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, when you get super aggro Lieutenant Dan, in Forrest Gump, you understand why he's super aggro. He just went through the war and lost his legs and blah, blah, blah. But he's like that from the first frame until the last frame he's in this movie. He's like that. He's amped up the whole time. Gary Sinise does not know what nuance is in this movie. <laughs> no, it's weird, man. Like I, like, I, like I said earlier, he, he, you know, he's just kind of one note, man. He starts at 95 and, you know, and just revs between 95 and 100 the entire movie. Like <laughs> yeah. there's no like, you know, and, and again, it's part of the pacing. I get it, but it, it, it's, it doesn't make for an enjoyable performance. No, there are Sinise. I mean, I kind of always like Sinise when he plays a little more quiet, you know, I'm a big fan of midnight clear, his performance in that and his mice and men turn, um, as George, he's great. But yeah. you know, in this movie, it's funny cause, and I think it's also just seeing him looking like, like he just walked out of an audition for Lord of the Rings and lost, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to be Aragorn. Ah, he just <laughs> fucking was pissed the entire, let's go rob a fucking casino. Yeah. So that was the thing, you know, he lost that role to Vigo and then he just goes, all right, I'm going to bamf and do this reindeer games. It's Frankenheimer. So who was coming off of the Ronin, like one of his, you know, his kind Dude. of big comeback. Ronan, I remember when Ronan came out, how, how excited everybody was for it. And I went and sat in a theater and my jaw was just in my lap. And one of the things that I love so much about that movie, and even though you know, Alan Silvestri does the music in this, just like with Ronan, but more so with Ronan, all the car chases, dude, it's just nat sound and, and, and sound yep. design, no music. You don't need it. And it's just, if you don't get sucked into that movie just from that alone, ugh. You know what this movie does really well, and uh, you know you know how I feel about useless needle drops, but the, the needle drops in this movie are perfect. Yes. All of them. Yeah. Christmas songs or not Christmas songs, and yeah. you know, and the way that they work the Christmas songs in, you know, whether it's somebody whistling and into what you know, or they've worked it into the dialogue. I mean, it, it's just a really. This movie is not awful as people. I think it's. I think this movie sort of has developed a kind of a cult following too over the year, over the last 20 years. I think it's more revered now than it was, you know, it was pretty reviled in 2000. I yeah. saw it in a theater yeah. in La Cañada and I enjoyed it, but I saw it in a pretty much an empty theater, man, like on a Tuesday morning, like the week, <laughs> at, the you know, the week after it had, it had debuted. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, well, I better go see it now. Cause it's going to be gone uh, by Friday. Um, and it, I saw it in an empty theater, but that being said, I, I really dig this movie. I, I mean, yeah. the weird, uneven performances. I mean, we get, it, it's a good pot boiler. It's pulpy as fuck. Oh yeah, it is. All your character, your femme fatale. I mean, they're all there, man. The classic double, triple cross. It's like an Elmore Leonard novel come to life. Yeah. And we, we briefly talked before we got on mic about 
the cast being what it is. I mean, Charlie Theron is great. And, and, and it was weird seeing, not weird, but this is an ensemble movie. I don't care who's on the poster. You know, I know a lot of people out there love Joe Carnahan smoking aces, but I'm sorry, man. You, when you see smoking aces, you see Frankenheimer's reindeer games all over that motherfucker. Yeah, totally. And I will argue that till I'm blue in the face because you don't get a cast like this. When you look at smoking aces, how is that any different than this cast? You got people that you recognize and said, well, you got Ben Affleck's in both of them. Oh, that's right. He, for a few minutes. That's right. <laughs> for a few minutes. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot how briefly he's in the movie. Yeah. In this one, you've got Dennis Farina, who's not in it very long. No, I do. It's funny. I always kind of forget about Farina until he shows up. Right. And then you forget about him and he comes back. <laughs> Powwow. Somebody we talk about a lot, CW3, Clarence William III, who yeah. we just is like on, on our top of our favorites list. And this is the first thing of his we've covered. We talked about, we talked about Tales from the Hood, but we never actually covered it. Yeah, I think we I think we've talked about him a lot. I mean, yeah. this is his second go around with Frankenheimer too. I mean, he's in Fifty Two Pickup, which we talk about all the time. Yeah, that his just his presence because it's funny yes. because he doesn't say a lot in this movie. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He's kind of the second. He's the muscle, I guess, of the uh, of the group. Right. He you know he lends a weight to all those scenes. Yes, quietly, very quietly. Yeah, you got Danny Trejo. To me, this is like the per. This is J- Janie Trejo at his like physical, photogenic, awesome height. Right. This is he's the most Trejo of Trejo during this period. Yeah. And and he's and he's he's very quiet in this. He he doesn't say a ton either. But that scene when he's reading the yes. the money, man, I dude, it kills me. That and that's a Frankenheimer thing, you know. He yeah. he does what's unexpected. He gives his actors room to do interesting and off the wall things. I think. And, and like we mentioned before, I mean the Smoking Aces comparison. There's lots of musicians in Smoking Aces. Alicia Keys, Common, again Isaac Hayes in this, who right. starts a food fight in the prison, the very beginning that sets off the basically that sets the trap. Sets the trap. <laughs> As they say, that's on the poster. <laughs> on the poster. Sets the trap. He just ended that long. And then babyface Donald Logue as Pug. Right? He oh. looks like a little kid, dude. You just want to pinch his little cheeks. I mean, he's adorable. Every time you see him, you're like, oh, Donald. You see really quick why that man one day woke up and said, I'm growing a beard. <laughs> I didn't know this until yesterday. But Pug, the character Donald Logue plays, was originally cast for with Vin Diesel. But he surprise had problems with John Frankenheimer. So Frankenheimer. See ya. See ya kid. And you know, for, for, so I guess we can blame John Frankenheimer for kicking Vin Diesel off this and him going to do pitch black and then ruining everybody's lives. But just kidding. Yeah, yeah, but- I don't ever question John Frankenheimer's decisions because everything he makes is rad. So no, no, me neither. Again, you know, we, we, we get to, we get that prison riots, which sets all these, which sets everything in motion. Right. God, I don't want to ruin this for people who haven't seen it. I, I know, I know. I, I there's like there's a lot of people. It's, come on, it's 21 years old. Yeah, but I feel like there's a lot of people that haven't seen this movie. Okay, let's. Okay, so let, we're going to be intentionally dance. Okay, you know what? Let's just tell the story and I'll bleep things out. Look, just keep dancing with your hand on my ass and let's keep moving around this thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll just say, okay, that's, look, dude. That, that's my John McClane. Okay, there you go. So what, Rudy Duncan is Ben Affleck's character and he's roomed up with with his man, Nick. Nick Cassidy, played by James Frain, who is, we, we talked about pre-Mike, James Frain's fucking rad and everything. 
Yeah, he's James Frain. If you know who he is, <laughs> you know yes, who he is. You know who he is. And he's got Cherry Steron's photos all over his wall because she's his pen pal. She's one of those, one of yeah. those people you hear about that fall in love with inmates because for whatever reason they're lonely in some small town and they write to them and and he's planning like I can't wait to get out because there's because both he and and you know James Frain and Ben Affleck are three days out and they're both out which I thought was really weird how they both getting out at the same time but right and one of them was a violent criminal and one of them stole cars stole cars <laughs> yeah that's okay man the, the trap is set that's the setup and they're all super stoked and. So they're waiting in line to kind of, you know, doing their ranking and filing and to go have lunch or whatever. And Ben, our man, Rudy, sees somebody that's going to cause some trouble. Yeah. Dana Stubblefield's coming at him to kick his ass. <laughs> he's plays a character called the Alamo, Alamo. for a big reason. The Alamo. For reasons. Uh, yeah, right. Because he's as big he, as the fucking Alamo. He's a big guy. Anybody who doesn't know who Dana Stubblefield is. Just quickly, Dana Stubblefield was a, a defensive lineman at the time for the 49ers, Cowboys. You know, he was, he was, and he was, a, he was like a defensive player of the year. I mean, he's a big fucking giant of a man. Yep. Super Bowl player and defensive player of the year. Balco, Indicty. <laughs> Two years, 93, 97. All pro 97, the same year that he was defensive player of the year. Two time second team, three time pro bowler. Yeah. That guy. The dude's a big guy. And, and the thing is, he's only 6'2", 290. I mean, I'm not saying that's, that 290 is small, but 6'2". The way they present him in, in camera on this is so, he's huge. He's he's even bigger than that. Yeah, he looks like he's 6'6". He, he's massive. And I think it's because everybody, all the extras are super tiny. <laughs> But that was on purpose. Well, and dude, the way he comes, the way he comes running over that table too, man, he's pretty yeah. agile, obviously. So our man, Isaac Hayes, starts a food fight, like we just mentioned. And as that's all happening, Alamo decides, all right, man, I'm going to I'm gonna go after our man, Rudy, you know, Ben Affleck, because Ben thinks that the Alamo, who just came out of solitaire, is there because Ben ratted on him. And he's worried that he's going to come after him. And sure enough, he does. But unfortunately for our man, Nick Cassidy, James Frain, takes the shiv instead from Alamo, protecting his friend. And it's like, oh. Now, what's a guy to do? <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. Just when I thought I was getting out. Right? Yeah, it's sad. They pulled me back in. James Frain, dude. Dead. James Frain. R.I.P. Nick. Mm-hmm. And, it's the, and by the way, that's the best moment we get from Affleck. He actually emotes a little bit there. and Because he was probably scared as shit, dude, because Stubblefield was probably like, you know, <laughs> he's not a real actor. So he was probably like, fucking dude. They're like, he's just pretend... <laughs> He's an NFL quarterback. Just pretend. You look like Favre. Yeah. No, never mind. <laughs> Fast forward to the next day, and Rudy's out. As they're coming out, and he's released with a bunch of other people. People are meeting their families and signs saying, Welcome home, Daddy, and everything. And he sees Ashley Mercer up on the from the hit. He's been reading the letters that she's been sending to to Nick and, and seeing her photographs, this collage on the wall of their jail cell. So he recognizes her right away and she's anxiously looking for him and can't find him. And Rudy just walks by her and gets on the bus and then he can't stand it. He can't leave her just standing in the snow and he gets, makes them stop the bus. And he says, I'm Nick and pretends to be Nick because this is 2000. There's no photographs sure. being shared. You can't just look no. at people online to see what they look can't, like. Nobody's texting anybody. Yep. You can't find uh, mug shots. <laughs> no. 
there's a thing that I hate in movies because nobody does it in real life is there's the close up on him sitting in the bus and he looks at her and he, then he turns back around and he's like, don't do it, Nick. And he's talking yeah. to, and nobody fucking does that. Dude. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've never, I've never done that in my life. It's one of those faux pas where you have two people that know each other very well and they say their names a lot. It's, a, it's one of those two things that I just can't stand. They, you know who you're talking to. Stop saying their fucking name. Yeah, man. And I don't need to hear your internal monologue verbalized. We know that you're going to get off the bus and fucking go, you know. Otherwise, there's no movie. Dead friend's girlfriend. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. You've been in jail, dude. You want some ass. I get it. But what a, fuck. What a dirtbag. Because, you know, within five minutes, they're over at Ashley's hotel room and they're going. And they're yeah, man, going. Totally. Dude, but how goddamn cute is she? Dude, in that little scene at the beginning, like where they're talking and, and yeah, you know, she's wearing a little sparkly coat. <laughs> Whoever in wardrobe they got, they had her perfectly dressed for the small town girl that would be waiting in this town for this convict to get out that she's been riding to for years. Yeah. She's just what, a couple of years, right? Year and a half or something like that after Mighty Joe Young. And boy, if you didn't fall in love with this lady. <laughs> With Mighty Joe Young, I'm not big on remakes, especially movies like Mighty Joe Young, where I have a massive affinity for that from me being a kid. But I love the remake. Her and Paxton are so good in it. I was already digging it. So when you start dealing with some of the uh, story aspects of this as it goes along, I was like, oh, come on. What are you? I don't like you anymore. <laughs> it, she's great. I mean, dude, she's every, wonderful. I mean, and, and the thing about the movie, too, is like you really... I mean, they really play it, they play it up, man. You don't ever really know who's on which side of which fence. Right. Or really what the fuck is going on. Like, you don't really know if Rudy is the wrong guy, if, you know, what, you know, how has this all been set up? Is, right. is she really, does she really, you know, they do a really nice job of misdirection. Oh, yeah, they do. Hell, even, I mean, the third act is, is really like a 3A, 3B, and 3C. There's so yeah. many. It's like Clue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that it all ends one way. Right. Sometimes movies like this get convoluted. Uh, I don't know. Smoking aces where you just, there's too many twists and turns. I'll show you how to, no, fuck that. No, no, I'm with you. What you see in this is just enough. And you're kind of like, cause once the one thing happens, you're kind of like, oh shit. And then the discovery of the first one, right? And then the second one. And then the third one, you're like, what the fuck? Really? Well, yeah, totally. Let's be honest here, man. Rudy gets what he deserves. Absolutely. <laughs> but there's a moment in there where it's revealed how another character knew he was going to follow through with the crew and helping them rob the casino. You're like, okay, it's a little expositional, but it still made sense because a character was talking to another character. It didn't seem... Hey, I saw you do this, right. but we never saw it. So it really wasn't that bad. And to me, it didn't feel expositional. I thought it was, I thought it was clever writing and how they explain that. But yeah, when this movie is chock full of stuff, it's presented as an action movie, but it really isn't. I mean, you got the moment on the ice, but really, is there a lot of action after that? There really uh, isn't a lot you of know, it. It's, it's a heist a, movie. It's a dry. It's a heist it's a, movie. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a pot boiler. Yes. You know, more than anything. I mean, you know, and every the thing I love about the movie in the true noir pot boiler fashion, everybody gets their fucking comeuppance. Oh, yeah. 
You know, the one person, there's only one person who gets fucking snuffed in this movie who doesn't deserve it. And that's Ron Perkins as the ice fisherman. <laughs> that yeah. poor bastard. <laughs> no, you know, and Ron, wherever you are, you looked terrified. Yes. I want to think that he survived because we don't see his body. <laughs> I just want to say he, no. he lived. I mean, dude, and Ron was in Ronin. Yeah. You know, I think he was like maybe a friend of uh, Frankenheimer's. But anyway, I, I digress. I, he was the only person I felt bad for <laughs> in he, the movie. Right. What did he do wrong? And hell, for that matter, what did Farina do? <laughs> he was a guy that got, you know, the, the Vegas pushed out, you know, a casino manager that got pushed out. And he had to go work for a Native American casino. And he's always said, I can never go back to Vegas. I can't. And it was always implied. I, I love that part of it. You know, it was, it's always implied that he. That's his character from Midnight Run. Yes. I love that, dude. Yeah, it was like, totally. It, it, Moron number one. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And it's like, you know, he can't go back to Vegas, can't go back to Reno, whatever. It all works. I mean, but what did he do wrong? You know, and, and he didn't. I mean, he was running a casino, man. He didn't do anything. Hell, he was such a nice guy. He sent half his security team home on Christmas Eve to be with their families. He was a nice guy. He, he changed. He was a nice guy. God, man. It's like, I, people need to like, dude, Jack Bangs. I don't care what his name says. He's a nice guy. Anyway, that's, I thought, obviously it's intentional, right? For him to be called Jack, since that's one of the character names that it's, uh, that's De Niro's character name, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what, dude, the, the other thing too, is, uh, this is from that time period. I, I, and I, and I, and I love Farina. It's kind of a mashup almost, or, or like I, I, I picture it. It's, um, it's his character from get shorty and his character from midnight run <laughs> banished <laughs> to the great white North. And a little bit of, uh, you know, playing Jennifer Lopez's father in out of sight. Out of sight. Yep. So there you go. Because he's low key. He's not that super amped up Freena we see in Midnight Running and carries over into Get Shorty. Or Striking Distance. Uncle Nick. Oh my Uncle gosh. Nick. Look at us go, man. <laughs> Throwbacks to old episodes. One of the other things about this movie that's already making me think Bruce Willis before I ever get to Ben Affleck performance, where I'm seeing that aspect of John McClane from the first Die Hard. <laughs> when Nick asked Rudy, Ben Affleck's character, Hey, what are you going to do when you get out? I'm going to get a hot chocolate. Dude, it's fucking Hudson Hawk and the cappuccino. Am I wrong? No, not at all. You know, the other place where you're thinking about Die Hard is in the trailer, you see Ben Affleck in a Santa suit. Yeah. What the hell? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, ho, 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 I have a machine gun too. Yes. Lots of that. And they almost have that moment where it's a powwow safe. Pow. Wow. Yeah. And you think it's a super racist thing. That's what they're going for. And I mean, it is racist, but it's more than that. It's really not a powwow safe. It's more like a pow, pow, pow safe. And then they do that push in, right? Or do you, that's, and that's a very much a last Boy Scout moment. Oh the, man, th th this movie is shot beautifully, by the way. It is. It's gorgeous. It really is. Alan Queso, right? Yep. He, uh, I mean, dude, he also, he did uh, another movie that I, I would love to talk about sometime we should cover, maybe possibly is Spartan, the Mammoth film. Right. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know. Lots of television. Yeah. Lots of TV, but you know, he was on, uh, he did a runaway train. He was the second. He knows how to shoot a wide shot, man. Yep. And if you, and if you look at the stuff that he's done, even the television, again, the rookie, man, it's not, it, it might, it may sit there and be on ABC. What well, was on ABC? 
but it, it still had a, it's super wide. It's a really, they make use of the space. American Gothic was another one. He's really good at that stuff. And he, they, the things they pick him for, it's not surprising because his stuff is very unique and very distinct. It's not funny that Frankenheimer liked using because Frankenheimer started in TV. I mean, that's where right. you know, Frankenheimer from that era, those guys had no problem like being like, oh yeah, this guy's done a lot of TV. I did a lot of TV. Right. It wasn't like, oh, I'm making a TV movie. You know how to light a fucking set. You know how to fucking, you know, you know what lenses to use. You can shoot a movie. And, you know, and this movie looks beautiful, man. Like, especially those wide shots oh, when yeah. we first come across that, when we first come across the bridge in the, in the uh, truck. Right. And also, I, I just love the look of this movie, the exteriors, the snow. It's funny because it's, you think about movies that were coming in. There were, I, I can think of three movies that were all kind of set in snow, this being the third one. Simple Plan and Fargo, all from around the same time period, 97, 98, 99, whatever. But this one is not nearly as dreary as the other two. No. But it's not cheery. But it, it just it doesn't it doesn't have that feeling of dread. This 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 movie's fun, and there's a there's an energy that you see in every frame of this movie. Oh yeah, there's like a hyperkinetic underline that runs throughout the entire movie. Right. Which is funny because when you're saying it's not an action movie, but it kind of feels like an action movie. No, no. Even though there's not a lot of set pieces. This is Dimensions version of an action movie. Sure. Because these guys don't think in these terms. I mean, eventually they would have more things that you would consider an action movie. They're being pre- and the movies aren't really presented that way. It's it's presented as I mean, I've seen it categorized as an action crime thriller. I think a crime thriller is accurate. I mean, that's noir, yeah. right? It's the crime thriller for sure. Yeah, it's got some actiony moments, but come on, I mean, you can't have a thriller and not be actiony. <laughs> no, absolutely. And what's interesting too is we we talked about last week about Mimic and it having a theatrical release that we both used for the, the episode, but there being a director's cut that the, the director is more uh, yep. can, happy with. The same thing applies here. I don't know about Frankenheimer's two cents about the theatrical, but he did do a commentary for it that I, I need to go back and listen. I ordered, you know, I, I need to order the director's cut to, to, to watch it because he did a second commentary for the director's cut. And it's not a sidecar thing. It's a, he did it an entirely new. Yes. And, and and to me, that's interesting because he passed long after that, that director's cut came out. Right. I'm really interested in, I mean, the fact that he still chose and took the time to do that is pretty amazing to me. I've never seen the director's cut, but it's considerably longer, just like Mimic is for Del Toro. It's Yeah. Luckily, it was on Paramount Plus, and it's actually it's a really good, it's a really good um copy on paramount plus when you were you when you were hanging out yesterday and i said and i said the giveaway that it's going to be a decent transfer is when you see the 5.1 so you're like oh this is coming from a blu-ray but i was surprised because it wasn't surround but it was a i'm pretty sure it's the same image yeah and um it looked really good there's one point of a close-up of of affleck's face and i'm like you can actually see the stubble in his face i'm like wow that's this is definitely an hd transfer you can also see his teeth <laughs> Which is funny that you and I both said it uh, separately. Yes. Un- unscripted and unprompted. Yeah. Literally, dude, that last shot of the movie is like, fuck, what the fuck? That's all I could think is, what the fuck's going on with this teeth? And, yeah. and I stopped it to look at it. And I'm like, yes, he had one tooth in the middle. And they push in hard on it, man. Yes. These are Kevin Smith teeth. He hasn't gotten his, right? I'm going for an Oscar. Those are his Jersey Girl teeth. <laughs> Jersey Girl teeth. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, at the time, was this not the biggest thing he had been in as a Armageddon, maybe? Yeah, but I mean, less less ensembles. Here's the thing. I gotta say, and well, it's I, funny because is he really the star? Of the, I mean, I guess no, he, no, I guess and he I, is and the I, star I, of this and, movie. But it, this is still an ensemble movie. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm kind of want to retract my what I was about to say because I already made the point. The poster is misleading because it is an ensemble movie based on that cast alone. You just, and I, that's another reason why I want to see the director's cut. I want to see everybody in it more. I want to see everybody that you don't see enough of. I want to see more Trejo. I want to see more. Donald Logue is no different than Dennis Farina, man. He comes and goes and, you know, and he's not in it very much. You want to see more Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> I want to see more Ron Jeremy. Yes. As a prisoner, how apropos. Again, if I didn't read that, I wouldn't have known. Practicing, practicing <laughs> to be a prisoner. Exactly. Weird. What a piece of shit. And there's something else too. There's two credited editors on this, Tony Gibbs and Michael Kahn. Now, Michael Kahn, you know, because he does, he's Spielberg's guy. He's, he's just, he's always on retainer. So it makes me wonder if the reshoots and next in the director's cut or, or the reshoots after that, maybe, I don't know. I think that's maybe when Michael Kahn has stepped in because it seems like something like maybe, you know, Frankenheimer asked a favor of Spielberg, Hey, have your guy come in and, and spice this up for me. I like based on what I've seen of this movie again, I haven't seen a director's cut, so I can't speak to that. It feels like a more experienced hand. Um, and not to dump on Anthony Gibbs, I think maybe Michael Kahn came in to give him more current, a little bit fresher eyes on him is what I'm going to guess. But here's the thing. Tony Gibbs is, you know, he's worked with Frankenheimer quite a bit and uh, Ronan. I mean, just worked from previous Ronan and then the, the George Wallace series. He's worked with him quite a bit. I, I think maybe that may be what happened here. They need some fresher eyes on there. But I, I, I wish I could see the director's cut to know for sure. Oh, if you want to borrow it, I, I can loan you the Oh, DVD yeah, well, see, there you go. Because I want... Yeah, I'll bring it to you. Because if Frankenheimer does a, a unique commentary to the second, uh, to the director's cut, I would like to hear him. Hopefully, he'll he'll kind of elaborate on... Oh, dude, he talks... He, he, he You know, John doesn't really bite his tongue when you... Yeah, I'll bring it to you. I'll, cool. I'll, I'll drop it by sometime next week. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. You and I talked about during the prophecy episode about the whole Frankenheimer freaking thing. I, I've always held them both in such in, in similar regard, not because I've always mistaken the one for the other. And of course, we talked about the crisscross with French Connection <laughs> on which one right. did which. <laughs> one, two. Here's the thing about Frankenheimer movies and same thing with freaking movies. They're, they're never bad. No. They're never good. They're always really good or great. And this is, this is no exception. I mean, I know he's uh, at this point, he's got a few more projects under his, you know, uh, ahead in his future, George Wallace, like I mentioned. And then he, I think he passes when during, during a post-production for Path to War, um, which I uh, going to need for a bunch of Emmys. He, right at the end, man. Cause like you said, we, he got his, Dude, he was, he, yeah, he got his start in TV and he was kind of doing that. And like around mid eighties is when he started doing feature films on the regular and didn't come back into TV until the nineties. Oh no, no. He did a bunch of, dude, he did the Manchurian Candidate, the train seven days in May. I mean, those are all big features, but I mean, he worked exclusively at that point from like, from like 60 to, to 90, he only did a couple of TV things. Yes. And then he kind of went to work for HBO, <laughs> like <laughs> almost like their in-house guy. Right. Like, right. I mean, cause I, cause he, cause he basically said this, we talked about that with shit. What were we talking about where I said the beginning of HBO, oh, we were talking about uh, let it ride and how it felt like the kind of movies they were doing 
you know, straight to straight to HBO. Like they, when they were starting to do the original programming, original movies. Yeah. That was, that was that time where, where HBO was basically telling, telling creatives come here. <laughs> we're not going to tell you what to do. Here's your money. Go. Well, dude, cause he did, he did, he did the against the wall, which was great. Right. The burning, burning season, season. The, Chico, the Chico Mendez movie. Yeah. Andersonville, yep. that which I think was a TNT miniseries based on Andersonville, the, the Silverware era prison uh, thing. I mean, that thing was yep. fantastic, and I remember that. I think that was TNT, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering right. But I mean, yeah, George, George Wallace was another TNT, right? Yeah, Turner Pictures actually were the was the production yeah. company for it. Yeah, he, he kind of found his way back. You're right. He kind of found his way yep. back into television. The end, but he was also still kind of you know swinging for the fan, like with Ronin and you know still dropping these big and, and dude, this movie I don't know why it's so maligned the way it is. It's not bad. No, when you listen to that commentary though, you you're gonna, you you'll, you'll hear some things that'll make you laugh. That uh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil them for you, and I also don't want to spoil them <laughs> for anybody else who you know maybe has that director's cut sitting at home and has never listened to that commentary. Pre-Mike, I was getting ready to order the Blu-ray because I wanted the director's cut. And again, this thing is so old, 2013, that it has the digital copy of it is ultra volume. We all know what happened to them recently. Unfortunately, even a used copy is $40. So we're, we were talking, fingers crossed that maybe Paramount will look at their catalog hey, and go, hey, let's, let's, put put reindeer the, games. let's do the re-release like we did with the other hey, stuff. Why not, right? Hey, it's been Affleck's 50th birthday. Hey man, if they're going to put out some of all fears. These you do the right? balance out the register, right? Come on, if you're going to put out changing lanes on Blu-ray, put out reindeer. Come on here, help us out here, Frankenheimer come fuckers. On. Hey, look, you guys, you guys didn't do prophecy dirty. Don't yeah, do man, this dirty. On. Shout Factory, Shout Factory should pick up Reindeer Games. I wish, yeah. dude. It's funny because I'm a giant fan of of Manchurian Candidate. The train is like fucking talk all the dude, time. We- we didn't, we did, we just talked about the train with, uh, it's isn't it? Next week it's screening. It's part of right. the, it's part of the yeah. series. It's American Cinematheque this month. And it's actually, they're screening yep. it next Thursday. So Thursday or Wednesday. Well, the day this episode comes out. Correct. So, Hey man, if you want to see some Frankenheimer, <laughs> go out and check out the train. Uh, but I mean, it's funny. <laughs> if you're on all pay- the Frankenheimer movies, right? Seconds, the train, French connection Two, all the movies and the ones we've covered are the ones that are the most maligned. Prophecy yes. and Reindeer Games. 52 Pickup, dude, is another movie that if you haven't seen it, good God, what are you waiting for? We love, when we were sitting around yesterday, kind of like tooling through Paramount Plus and parent, and then I, cause I had already, I had added Prophecy to my, uh, I have the silly ass thing on Blu-ray. You have the shout also. And, and we both said, we we were even considering going back and not doing and, and, and replacing our not replacing our beat by beat, but just doing a normal episode like we're doing these days and and just talk about what we loved about the movie and the silliness that about it. Yeah, you might get some repeats on it, but I think it'd be more digestible. But we love the movie so fucking much. We're like, going, that's be fun to revisit, even though it's only been yeah, two totally. Years, I mean, right? look again, th- dude. There are so many Frankenheimer. Like, dude, another Frankenheimer movie that we're gonna have to talk about at some point is Scott Glenn in the Challenge. Yes, fuck. Dude, I mean, yes. dude, there's so many John Frankenheimer movies that you probably don't even realize they're John Frankenheimer movies. One of the things that we I cut from our prophecy episode. Was us talking about, we, we, on Mike said, yeah, Hey, we need to do Frankenheimer month. And I said, I, you said it. And then I said, really, I think we can do a Frankenheimer, Frankenheimer 
quarter. We can sure. do like we three could. months Absolutely. worth. The challenge, we didn't even talk about the challenge two years ago. And here, that's like you're pointing out, there's so much for us to digest in his world that, I mean, yes. Well, is it going to be a big <laughs> love fest? Fucking hey, well, dude. dude it's, it's like Aldrich. It's like, you know, it, it, if I want to go back yep. that down that road, there are so many movies and it, the, the, the styles and stuff are so vast that you're like, oh shit, fucking Frankenheimer directed that movie. Dude, Dead Bang with fucking Don Johnson is another awesome Frankenheimer movie. And it gets overlooked, dude. It's like that. I know we talked about, we already mentioned 52 pickup in this episode, but that, I mean, that, that was, you know, back to back. And and I remember, that, dude, I love the VHS cover for Dead Bang. Yeah. It's so, dude, just Don, even, no matter what you saw in Miami Vice, he never looked cooler in any still photograph than he did on the cover of that VHS. Right. Just stand there in the trench coat with the shotgun. Fucking great, dude. Dude, and how many times have we talked about Black Sunday? I'm just saying <laughs> to the point, to the point where it's like, it's like silver bullet. We can't actually release yeah, the we episode. Can't, we can't release it because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it'll be anticlimactic. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, it, it just saying this movie. Oh, you know what else? Dude, the other thing that you have, I don't know if you've watched it yet. You have 99 and 44, 100% dead, which is the flip side yes. of the nickel ride DVD from yep. shout. But, and I'll be honest with you, I still haven't watched right. it yet. I mean, but again, there's I'm, so... Nickel Ride I had, because I almost, as soon as I got it, weren't you, I think you were still in Cincinnati, weren't you, when I got yes. it and I told mm -hmm. you I watched mm -hmm. it? Yep, yep. Yeah. And we weren't even like, we were just like Instagram buddies yeah. at that point. We weren't even like friendly. Yeah, totally. Yet, other than that. And I, and then as soon as I, as soon as I watched it, I'm like going, fuck, all right, this dude's a kindred spirit here. I know this guy now. I know who this person is. <laughs> he just... He grew up in Northern California, but yeah, I know who he is. I, I don't know why. By the way, did they get around to putting that as a double on nope. a on a Blu-ray? I could have sworn I saw that. I think it's still only on DVD. Oh man, I would love to upgrade that. But the thing is, though, that I not only again, I only watched the Nickel Ride, but that transfer is fucking great for a yeah, DVD, man. man. It really is. They put some care into it. I mean. Look, man, Frankenheimer had a career that like, I mean, dude, that's like 40 plus years of, and if you go through his filmography, it's fucking insane. I mean, I haven't, I didn't even mention Year of the Gun, the only, the, one of two Andrew McCarthy movies that's worth watching. We were, we were joking about, <laughs> we were trying to find a movie to watch before he picked Reindeer Games. And I, I came across some weird fucking movie he did. I had never even heard of it. I'm like, it just was one of those, the sexy crime movies that they were making around that time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but it was funny when I first saw it, I thought of Year of the Gun. I'm like, is this a Sharon Stone movie? And I'm like, oh no, it's not it. It's something else. Otherwise she'd be in the front of it. Oh, Sharon Stone is in Year of the Gun. Yeah, I know. But I'm saying that because I, what I would say was on that photograph that I sent you. Oh, was yeah. if, if this was the same movie, she would have been standing Correct. next to him. That Valerie Galena too, right? Yeah, man. Oh gosh. Our, our love affair for Valerie is deep dude look deep you know i'm not gonna tell you that i'm, I'm not gonna say this is true but i'm not gonna say it's not true i may have seen big top peewee more than i've seen peewee's big adventure 100 i was just talking to, to joey about that a year ago during like when we were first in lockdown that summer of, of 2020 i was I, I think i watched it like 100 times dude i i, I love that movie dude I, there's so much not to love about it Speaking of malign movies, like it's overlooked because like, oh, it's not this. It's not Tim Burton. I'm Fuck that, dude. It's great because it's not I'm Tim Burton. I'm sensing a trend uh, from uh, for September. It's maligned films from uh, <laughs> top-notch filmmakers. 
here's the thing. Freddie stopped by yesterday. We're just kind of hanging out. And we, this is the first time we've been to the house in like a year. Oh, at least that. A year yeah, and a half? Least, oh, yeah. I mean, in the house. In the house. You, you stopped by once. When I got back from Dallas. But this is like, like, like right before yeah. the lockdown started, like literally. So we were just hanging out, sitting on the couch, and we hadn't spent that much time together at my place since we recorded last year and a half ago, more than that. And then I was wanted to show you something on YouTube on the app, and then I was pointing out, I'm like, I've been falling down that rabbit hole of watching Pee Wee stuff. And every time I watched those old clips that were taking place on Letterman before the first movie came out, when he was just doing Groundlings and he was doing that Saturday night show at the Groundling Theater here, I just kept thinking, going, man, Big Top Pee Wee's so much better than I love. Don't get me wrong, I love Big Adventure, but I do like Big Top Pee Wee more because what a cast, dude. You're talking when we were also you and I were talking. I mean, we're, we're solely sidetracked. Yes, malign movies from major impressionable yeah, man. directors for us anyway. Yeah. I think that so now that, now that we have that in our head, we got to figure out what yes, we're doing. Next well, week I'm sure we can that. find one now. <laughs> we can do guilty as sin by Sidney Lumet. Oh, okay. We are talking about another Lumet movie that we almost did. Well, not, not almost did that I brought up and then your reasoning behind it made a lot of sense. Can I get in and I remembered, Oh yeah, it is. It's a rough watch. This is, this was a nice hour and 40 minutes perfect movie and and there's enough going on it the other movie would have just been too much even if it was only an hour 40 minutes but it is not reindeer games reindeer games and, and we just and i know we sound like we're not ready for this and we're not we we didn't decide this movie until yesterday like last night in fact it wasn't when we were hanging out it was when i was at work and like what about this and you're like oh yeah well, it's funny because i almost i started watching it when i was in um uh, when I was in Montana, I literally, cause when I yeah. clicked back over to Paramount, it said, continue watching. I was like, Oh fuck. Did I actually start it? And I did. I, I started, I, I watched like the first 12 minutes of it. And then I think I just shut it off to go to sleep. Cause I was like, ah, oh, fuck, if I get into this, I'm going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> so when you did say it, I was like, but we've talked about doing it. I, we've talked about reindeer games before during our, our discussions about, but, but the Frankenheimer rant. Well, yeah. Frankenheimer <laughs> rant also our, it's a Christmas movie lineup right i forgot we did that briefly and i, and I remember i said and i just shut it down right away we're not even thinking about frankenheimer so is that too on the nose i think we were both trying to pick movies that people assumed weren't christmas movies and we were just like uh trap in paradise yes honestly i need to get you to just i need to just do it this year just so you can stop bringing it up because <laughs> you always do and it, I mean, but should we do it? We should, we, we should just do it disengaged. So, we should do it as a disengaged. Cause I haven't seen it in so damn yeah. long. I no, wouldn't remember, remember anything about it anyway. <laughs> anyway, reindeer games again, our love affair with Paramount plus continues. It's there now. It's a pretty good transfer. Yeah. And nothing else to say about it. It's a good time. Totally. You'll enjoy yourself. Yeah, man. And it's look, it's, it's, it's a movie that like has a good, like I said, there's an energy that runs through the whole movie. Uh, because you know, I mean, you and I both really just watched it this morning. I would, I'm going to say, right. I would say though. Yeah. I saw the two thirds of the movie this morning. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I'm saying look, look how excited we are about watching a fucking 20 year old yes. movie that like nobody really fucking talks or likes very much, but it's bullshit. So watch the fucking thing. Paramount plus reindeer yes. games, John Frankenheimer. You won't be sorry. And if you want to follow the show on Twitter, we can follow us at Karate Pod or Instagram at Karate Pod. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd. And yes, if you guys have noticed, we don't like forecast what, we're, what we watch. And we're trying to be better about putting the things that we watched after the fact. And we're going to be better about that because there is a, 
letterbox account coming soon for us. And I just have to figure it out because the email problem is the part you can't, you can't have the same email address attached to your personal. So I have to figure that out. Right. Anyway, but if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, I'm at Corey underscore Cope. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. You can support the show at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you could follow me at the Alamo at letterbox.com. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 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 wrong. I'm sorry. It's Tom Cody at letterbox.com. Uh, or you can follow me at rock and roll 33 on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought me some corn for popping The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight how I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm And the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you'd love me so Let it snow, let it snow and snow Finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm But if you really grab me tight All the way home I'll be warm Oh, the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow